0: It is group five, channel seven. I think that's it. Feels like it's on. I don't I hate to tap microphones. I have to set up our microphone and every time our pastor goes dong dong and I'm like, no, and don't do that. Is it working? Maybe? Sounds like it. My voice feels stronger. Let me just hook this on here. Alright, it's on. That'll work. Alright, let's take our Bibles and let's turn to the wonderful book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. My name is Nathan Herring. I am the assistant pastor of South Valley Baptist Church in Cuna, Idaho, and it is a pleasure to be here with you this morning or this evening, and it felt like this morning when I left the house, but now I'm here. Actually, it's not a bad, it's not a bad drive. Uh, Brother Tim asked me, uh, we were talking yesterday, and he asked me if I could come over. I said, absolutely, that sounds wonderful, and Then, so I'm working on my Suburban, the fuel pump went out. Who puts a fuel pump inside of the fuel tank? I don't understand that. So now I'm working on that, and then today my um, uh, Ford Explorer blew a coolant line. That was fun. So it was bleeding all over our driveway. So I did what any good brother does, he calls his sister. So I called my sister and I said, I need a car that preferably has air, she had one with air. So she's a teacher, so she said, come and get it. So I took the church van over there, because you'd be crazy to drive the church van that guzzles that much gas for these prices, two hours. So I went over. So that was a huge blessing for her to do that. Uh, and now I'm like, man, I've got my work set out for me at the house. So I know some a little bit about cars, but I go to the University of YouTube all the time. And I discover amazing things there. And we're going to figure out how to get this stuff changed and all like that. Well, it is great to be here with you all. We're going to turn over to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to loosen my tie here, if you don't mind, just a little bit. Uh, have you ever had a shirt or a pair of shoes or pants or something that are too small? And you're like, I need to get rid of these. But then you never get rid of them. Have you ever had that? So I was preaching at a church over in Weezer. And I had this shirt on. And it's, I'm going to say the shirt is getting smaller. I'm not getting bigger. So uh, the shirt's getting smaller, and uh, I told, I said, man, I shouldn't have wore the shirt. I can't even button the top button, or I'm going to pass out while I'm talking. And I had done that, so I was there. I told the people about it. I said, if it's okay, I want to just loosen this so I can breathe a little bit while I speak. Well, the guy came up to me afterwards. He was a wonderful guy. He told me, he said, you know, that's what happened to me. I said, really? He said, I couldn't button my top button. So I went to the doctor, and they discovered a tumor. And I said, Really? And he just looked at me like, you know, that might be what it is. So apparently I need to go to the doctor or I just need to get rid of this shirt and not wear this shirt anymore. So we're probably going to go with that. All right, let's take a look here in Romans chapter 12. Um, It's always special when you get to preach on a Wednesday night because there is never as many people on Wednesday night as there is on Sunday. That's the secret that no one understands. But we all know it because we go to church. But it shows the faithful ones, the people who come. Here when the doors are open and it's always a blessing to my heart to get to come preach anywhere on God has for me on a Wednesday night because these are faithful people who show up to hear the word of God and I do really appreciate each and every one of you being here. Today we're going to look at something a little different. We're going to look at a recent story as we go through some scripture and we're going to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about certain matters while we look at a modern example. But we're going to start off here reading the word of god. Let's look in Romans chapter 12 and then we're going to look in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. That's a big one. That's really hard for us to understand. Bless and curse not. It's very interesting, we're going to move past this, but just a side note there blessing someone who curses you, we don't even bless people who are mean to us, much less who actually persecute us. You know, and we Americanize the Bible, you know, you know what I'm saying? We Americanize and we go, that I was persecuted. No, your boss chewing you out at work is not persecution. It's just not what it is. Well, they cut me off in traffic. Well, I'm having to pay more at the pump. Well, no, that's not persecution. And it's interesting because in the scripture, in these Bible times, when we talk about persecution, they could take it at its face value because people literally were killed for their faith. So we look over here in America, and we Americanize the Bible. We have to be careful for that. So bless them which persecute you. That does not mean be nice to someone who's mean to you. This is even greater than that. Being nice to someone is not blessing them. Persecuting someone is not being mean to them. We're getting two much more extreme examples here, which makes this such an incredible passage of Scripture. So bless them which persecute you, um, and bless them and curse not. Let's look in uh, verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards, uh, uh, one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men, dearly beloved. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And that's one of the things that makes it very, very hard in this day and age. One of the frustrating things is because mankind calls out for justice. And we think that justice should be served. And when we see hypocrisy, we think it should be dealt with. But there are certain things in this life. We do not have control over, and God says, don't worry about it. I'm going, to, I'm going to take care of all of this. We need to turn that over to God. Verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him, and if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time here together, Lord. I pray you'll just bless the reading of your word. Lord, we thank you for each and every person here, the faithful, faithful people who are here when your doors are open. Lord, I pray that you will doubly bless them, Lord, for their faithfulness, that you will just enrich their week. Father, I pray that you'll be with each and every one of us here to reach someone who's close to us and also someone who's far away. Lord, for your your glory, I pray, Father, we'll be a light into the world. Please give us the courage. To continue on, even when things seem dark. Father, I pray you'll just continue to bless us like we know you will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you today about hope in the darkness. So here Paul writes here in Roman on the conduct of a Christian. This is really, really interesting because he's talking about the conduct of a Christian. And as we read this passage, we're presented with such uh, intense instruction that goes contrary to human nature. And we can look at human nature and go, well, it's very natural to do this, this, and this, and this. But Paul covers so much with just this little small area of verses right here. He says, bless those that persecute you. Ooh, I don't know about that. You know, okay, well, I'll be cordial or kind to people, but I'm really not going to go beyond that. No, where to intentionally bless those who persecute us. Don't be angry when you are treated poorly. It's incredible to me. I just do not understand. I do, this, this is not shining a great light on Nathan. Oh, he's so patient. I just don't understand this. I don't understand how people can have road rage. It doesn't make sense to me. Someone I, And I have family. I've seen people get so mad over someone cutting them off in traffic. And then you're at the next light. And then you're going to get them. So you get in front of them. Wah, and then you're at the next light. And it's like you're, you're not gaining. Okay, I can understand maybe you're on the interstate, and you've got to go like 500 miles, and you're trying to make good time. But when you're in Boise, downtown Boise, and you're, going, you're about to kill someone, and you're just trading places, anyways, it doesn't make any sense to me. People get angry when they're treated poorly. He talks about another thing here about feeding your enemy, literally sustaining. No, you, shouldn't you want your enemy to starve? Like shut the water off, you know? But he's talking about feeding your enemy, and that would be like keeping fires Uh, coals of fire on top of their head, don't return evil for evil, wait on the Lord. We see all these things that Paul is giving us here. And in this passage, we see a verse that makes three statements. I want you to look in verse 12 of Romans chapter 12. Three statements here, perhaps geared towards the weary Christian, the one who might feel alone in the darkness. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three ways to survive during the darkest times of our lives. I'm going to give you a little example here, so follow me along on this story. May 26, 2013, a 29-year-old sea cook from Wari, Nigeria, would have his life changed forever. His name was Harrison Okine. He'd gotten a job working on a tugboat in the Gulf of Guinea, located in the southeast Atlantic Ocean. This area was rich with massive layers of petroleum beneath the seafloor. So they were down there working with a tanker. On this day, there were 20 miles off the coast near Eskavos, Nigeria. Harrison was aboard the Jaskon 4 tugboat, which was one of four tugboats providing this. Um, it was uh, these tension tow functioning things helping pull these tankers along, Chevron tankers. And what they were doing is they were filling up. Um, one of the Chevron tankers was filling up there at a single buoy mooring, number three to be precise you want to look that up. The waves were very rough that night, so the men decided to go ahead and go to sleep. Does anyone here get motion sickness? I cannot. No one gets motion sickness? My goodness. I get motion sickness. I cannot imagine going to bed, rocking up and down. Uh, I used to be able to get on crazy stuff when I was a kid, merry-go-rounds and stuff like that, and it never bothered me. And then we took the kids to the fair, and my daughter was like, hey, Dad, do you want to get on this thing? And it was this neat little plane thing that goes in a circle and goes up. And then just goes down, and I'm like, oh, she's afraid. Sure, I'll sit in there with you. And she's having a great time, and I've got the death grip on that seat, thinking, Lord, please, please, get me off of this thing alive so I don't you know, lose my lunch. Anyways, I barely survived that trip. She had a wonderful time, but the little kitty plane almost killed me. Anyways, I digress. We'll move on. So the boat here, the waves are very rough. Harrison decides to go to bed. Just before 5 a.m., Harrison, feeling a little nauseous, gets up to, head to the restroom. Suddenly, the boat, on his way, just as he's going into the restroom, is caught by a large wave, and the boat, literally in one swoop, is capsized upside down. Water begins to rush into the vessel, and due to the threat of pirates, it was a standard procedure that each of the cabin doors be locked from the inside. When this happened, now everyone's room is upside down, and everything is strewn everywhere, That led to the deaths of his colleagues who were searching for their keys but could not find them. Harrison now is in an upside-down restroom. He forces the restroom door open with the water rising only to see three of his colleagues swept out an open hatch into the raging sea. Harrison was then swept down the hallway and ended up in the captain's quarters where he was injured from smashing against the door jamb, dazed, Spins inside the room and he's holding on to this upside down sink hanging on inside of the captain's quarters. The boat sank 100 feet down and came to rest at the bottom of the sea floor. A search party went into effect immediately. Right after that happened, they pinpointed the wreckage and they dropped buoys to mark the location. The buoy anchors banged actually against the hull as they dropped, and Harrison could hear them hitting. He beat on the side and screamed, but no one could hear his voice. The rescue divers were not equipped to dive that deep, and they could only stay at that depth of the depth of the wreckage for a very limited amount of time without the proper equipment. No evidence of life was found, so they returned to the surface and called the rescue search off, and they no longer continued. There in the darkness of a sunken ship at the bottom of the ocean, Harrison did something that was very, very interesting. Harrison praised God that he was alive. Everything was bad around him, but he was thankful that he was alive. Let's turn over to Psalms chapter 42. Psalms chapter 42. Paul tells us rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing in prayer. The very first thing that we see here in surviving in the darkest times of our life, the first thing we see here is rejoicing in hope we are to praise God praise. Let's look in Psalms chapter 42, and then we'll look in verse 5. It says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The Christian has an anchor for the future. We have hope. That's what that anchor is. It's not just some vague, sentimental, optimistic um, saying, but we actually have hope. Hope that is as bright as the promises of God. Just as Paul and Silas praised him in prison, the, the examples of John Bunyan, Coryton, Tin Boom. Has anyone here ever heard of Harlem Popov before? His name is Harlem Popov. And um, incredible, you should look it up. He, so Richard Wurmbrand, he, he wrote Tortured for, uh, I believe it was Tortured for Christ. And Harlem Popov wrote Tortured for His Faith. And what Harlan Papa was, he was a Romanian pastor who was taken captive uh, during Soviet Russia and spent 14 years in a death camp, moving from death camp to death camp. His story is incredible. My mom had me read his book in high school. It was one of the most influential books in my life that this guy went through what he did and still continued to praise God. I just can't, I cannot fathom that. How can, you can be there in this one camp and the water was a literally, that was literally thigh high the entire time. They had to break away the ice and they took turns climbing up above the water to get of it so they could get out of it so they could try to dry their skin off. That was during the wet seasons. Those wet seasons would go on for about four months. They would have to deal with that every single day. The man who still prays God. Just absolutely incredible. So we look at that. We see examples of him and Corey ten Boom and John Bunyan and many others. And it helps to remind us that in our trials and tribulations, what is the first thing we should do? The first thing is we should praise him first and foremost. Why should we praise? Why should we praise when bad things are happening to us? Because we have hope. We have hope in one who is perfect and one who loves us, Jesus Christ. If we can praise God in our trials then we can become a beacon of light in this sin-filled world. You might not know it, but when you're going through something that's really bad, a lot of people notice it, a lot of people see it. So when you're going through something that might not seem uh, uh, like you can get through it, hang on, praise God, and God's going to get you through it, and you're going to encourage other people to as well. We had uh, several people in our church who faced job uncertainty with these mask mandates that were... um, just, we're not going to get into all that the, the scientific wrong, how, how they took people's jobs away from them and all like that. You should stand up for your God-given rights. But in that situation, it is incredible to me, the people who got angry and bitter, how they did was not nearly as good as the people who just praised God. And um, I know it's different for everybody, but my goodness, I've seen God do some incredible things in that very situation. So, we're not to be anger, angry when we treat, are treated poorly, or to rejoice in hope and we're to praise him in all things. Back to Harrison. Harrison praised God as he was sitting at the bottom of the ocean. Second thing we see here, something very interesting. Harrison hung onto that sink and he began to think. Because when you're down at the bottom of the ocean, you can see some, if you look up, you can see some really scary stuff. We just did this VBS and it was called Mysteries of the Deep. And we did, went through the layers of the ocean and the kids were all super, super excited to see like the angler fish and different stuff like that until they saw them. Then they were like, you know, they were all freaked out. But we went through that about how incredible God's creation is and all just fascinating. We see creepy creatures down at the bottom of the ocean, but that's not his problem. His problem here is actually a lack of oxygen and is also hypothermia. And he could sense that hypothermia was going to set in. He had to stay focused. He must have oxygen. That's what he said to himself. So He was also facing hypothermia. The water surface uh, was about 82 degrees. That's not the same at 100 feet below the surface. Obviously, it starts to get dark, very, very cold down there. He didn't realize it, but at this moment, Harrison had mathematically about four to six hours to live or Harrison was going to die of hypothermia. Running out of air, growing colder by the minute, Harrison made a choice, and in complete darkness... He decided to hold his breath, go underwater, and swim through the boat to try to find a higher area with more air because he was running out. Keep in mind, Harrison has um, sailors who have died who are still in the boat with him. He holds his breath. He goes down the hallway, and he finds an engineer's, the engineer's office. He comes up feeling around in the darkness and realizes there's air, comes up above it and measures about as well as he can. There's about a four-foot spot of air at the top of the engineer's office, and this would have to do. He found a little screwdriver and a hammer. He began to pull off the paneling of the wall and placed it down as far as he could. He tried to climb up on it. He found a floating mattress. He pulled that in, and that enabled him to at least get his upper half out of the water. So now he wasn't up to his chin. He had a little more air, but a new problem began to play in his mind. His temperature was dropping rapidly, so he would try to push himself up, try to get his legs up, but he had to keep that core out of the water. Hungry, thirsty, tired, and stuck in complete darkness, Harrison had praised God that he had survived, and then what he said he began to do is began begging his Savior to allow him to see his family, and what he did is he began to sit there, and over time, he began to calm himself. He had to calm. He knew he had to calm himself. The skin from his tongue began to come off, and the smells and sound of the deep began to frighten him he praised God that he was still alive, and Harrison sat there, and he decided he was going to be as calm and as patient as he could possibly be. Let's take a look here in John chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, look over in John chapter 16. The second thing we need to see whenever we are in a situation to where it seems dark and we're not going to get through it, the first thing we do is praise God. The second thing we do is we must have patience, rejoice, in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Nowhere in the New Testament is the church promised freedom from tribulation. I really wish that was, I really wish it wasn't like that. Wouldn't it be nice if we never had tribulation? You get saved and then life goes great and it's wonderful. My goodness. Oh, we're, we're doing good now. I, I got saved. God's blessed me. Now I'm never going to have anything go bad in my life. No. That's not how it is. We all know that. We're never promised freedom from tribulation. John 16, it says this. These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How incredible is that? What an incredible promise. You're going to have tribulation in the world. The world's bigger and stronger than you are. Did you know that? But guess what? I'm bigger and stronger than the world, and I've overcome the world. How, what an incredible promise that is. So we're not, that's what, interestingly, back to getting mad in traffic and stuff like that. I'm always amazed when Christians get so offended because they are not treated how they believe they should be treated. You hear what I'm saying? Because we have this really weird thing to where we feel like people should respect us, but we haven't earned their respect. We have this really weird thing like we should be treated a certain way when perhaps we don't treat other people that way. It is incredible to me. Christians get so offended, especially over small things. How dare they? Well, they should know better. No, no. If you're saved and you know the risen Savior, can we be patient and not be so easily offended? If, 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 we, if we grasp that, it makes life a lot easier because people are going to treat us like garbage in the world. They just are Okay, I'm a Christian. Someone's not going to treat me like how I think they should treat me. If I grasp that, then that makes it easier an easier life on myself because then I don't go around getting offended all the time. Some of the most offended people, this is a side note too. This has nothing to do with the sermon. This is all for free. Um, uh, the people who get the, I heard someone say this the other day. I thought it was so good. The people who are the most easily offended are the most offensive. Isn't that interesting? you know, how someone who they get offended over everything, how dare you, you know, it's just constantly, oh, you know, they're the ones who are actually the most aggressive against other people, you know. So anyways, it's just this w- really weird thing. So if you're always offended at something, you might be the most offensive of them all. Anyways, we're going to move on. So on the contrary here, because we realize that we're not promised freedom from tribulation, the church goes through tribulation today. In fact, it's claimed by some people that, The martyrdom in the church today is more so, even more so than all the past generations. Because you look at Korea, you look at Russia, you look at China, you look at um, uh, the Middle East, nations in Africa. It is rampant right now. So it's very practical um, here for um, the apostle to write to be patient in tribulation. Because it was all the way back then, and it's still today. We don't feel it so much in America but people are still being persecuted um, uh, in the name of the Lord. Christ did not prevent the storm from the disciples. The disciples were really frustrated because we don't want to have patience. We want this storm to go away. You know, they go down there, you know, wake them, shake them, wake them up. God, don't, Jesus, don't you understand? You don't care that we're going to die. They were just assuming that they were going to die. So they're throwing out accusations. How dare? How could you do that? You led us into this storm, and now we're mad about it, is basically what they were saying. But Christ never promised us that he would prevent the storm. He promised us his presence in the storm, and that's what's great. It's because we will go through storms and trials and tribulations in our life, but we have the person who is greater than that. And it is, yeah, it's just, it's, in, it's incredible um, how we, uh, we narrow down our view to just the storm, but God's bigger than the storm. Now, God doesn't prevent the storm to show his love. He instead perseveres us through the storm and is in the great calm. It is in the great calm that we grow closer to him. Isn't it interesting that in several situations in the Bible where it talks about a storm being calmed or Jonah being thrown overboard and the storm being calmed and God, Jesus, saying, Peace be still. The people were more afraid after the storm stopped. Is that interesting? Because their realization of the power of God far outweighed their fear of the storm. And it was, oh my, I, I cannot believe this. And then they look at Jesus. What manner of man is this? The realization became so much more powerful than the fear of the storm. So it's important that we remember that. Sometimes we're stuck in a situation and we don't know how we're going to get out, and then God pulls through and it's like, I cannot believe that happened. I can't believe God did that. But God's always stronger than the storm. Back to Harrison. Harrison fought to keep much of his body above water as long as he could while he waited. Meanwhile, up top, the Lueck Toucan is the name of a deep-sea salvage boat. It has a deep-sea salvage team on board. They were there, came in uh, um, after the, um, the first ship. They came in, and they were going to try to locate. They knew where the wreckage was. They were going to try to locate the bodies before hauling the wreckage to the surface. So what they do is they go down, they find the bodies so they won't be swept away if there's any there. They can get them, they'll be preserved in the ship or the boat, and then they'll lift the boat after they've taken them out, and then they'll, they notify the family and all like that. During this time, the Lueck Toucan arrived on the wreckage site. There they send their deep salvage team to the bottom. They discovered that the boat had sunk in several feet, had sunken down into several feet of the muddy seabed. This would complicate getting into the boat to gather the bodies. Six rescue divers dove down to start the operation. It took almost an hour to cut their way inside the boat. Once inside, the divers found it hard to see because of so much silt floating around inside. They could barely see in front of their mask. Several of the divers searched the first floor and discovered four bodies, while the lead diver, Nico Van Herden, followed the staircase below deck, which was now upper deck. They actually had cameras on there because they could not see and they get disoriented. There was an operator up top with the, um, all of the monitors, monitoring what was going on and talking to them. An instructor was talking the whole time to the lead diver, Nico. Harrison heard the anchor drop from the rescue boat ahead. He heard the divers cutting their way into the boat. He heard the noises that they made. As they worked from one room to another. But he couldn't see the light. So Harrison, what he did next, was he prayed. And this is what he said. Jesus, deliver me. Let me see my family again. God, please, let me see my family again. And as someone with a wife and six kids, that just tears at your heart. Someone, all they want to do is just see see their family again. He calls out to God to pray. Let's look over in Psalms chapter 86. Psalms chapter 86. We see in Romans where it says, Rejoicing in hope, patience in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. For in our tribulation, we need to pray. Don't shut off that communication to God. We shut off the communication. All right. Just gonna. I'm going through this problem. I'll try to figure it out myself. You get to a situation in your life where you can't figure out the problem by yourself. And we look at that and we go, I just know if I can't figure it out, then it'll just have to do this way. Sometimes we just have to go, it's all right. There's nothing I can do here. There's nothing else that I can do. We need to turn it over to God. Let's look in Psalm chapter 86 and verse one. Very interesting what it talks about with prayer here. It says a prayer of David. Bow down thy ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. There in verse 1 of Psalms chapter 86. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy to all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. And the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things, Thou art God alone. Teach thee my way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy towards me. And thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen up against me. And the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul. And have not set thee... Before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, and gracious, long suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because thou, Lord, hast holding me and comforted me what we have to do christian is we have to realize this you're going to persevere in prayer and nothing is going to add more com- more passion to your prayer than tribulation because we will see tribulation so in our life so are we going to take the times of tribulation and are we going to cling to god during that time or will we allow That to push us farther away from God. Because we're going to say, God, you should have never allowed me in this tribulation to begin with. This is your fault. And we'll hear the same old, same old. How could a loving God do this and this? How could a loving God, and we allow ourselves to recoil away from God when he was the one who was there to help us. So what we have to do is we have to think about this. Tribulation makes the believer's hope even more real. It adds a whole new dimension to your convictions. Can you imagine, just think about this, can you imagine the prayers of the underground church right now in North Korea? Where they are throwing people in these camps, these cities that are camps. They have big signs there in the, in the cities that say in Korean, you run, you die. So if a guard or someone there is coming up to you, If you run from them, they will shoot you. They're literally over there fighting and killing each other over snakes. Why? Because that's what they're going to eat for supper. There's nothing in the city. They're finding anything they can get their hands on. Think about the prayer of the underground church there, the prayer of the underground church in China, the prayers of John Bunyan or Richard Wurmbrand. There's a reason why we're called to pray boldly, to cry out to the Savior in tribulation. Sometimes I think that we're afraid to get an answer we don't like. So we sort of pull back our prayers a little bit, hedge, hedge our bets a little bit well. God, I really, I really hope I really hope this happens. And Lord, if you want this person, if you want this person to get better, then get them better. Lord willing, but if not, no, pray they get better. Pray for what you want. We don't have to go, well, if I really, if I, if I pray that God will do this and then it doesn't happen, that means God's failed. So I don't want to embarrass God. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, well, God, we want this. But then if you don't want it, no, we're told to come boldly before the throne of God to ask what we want. I never say to my wife, well, I'm leaving on this plane. I've got to go preach a camp in Georgia. Please pray, Lord willing, that I arrive safely. Hopefully the plane doesn't crash. Lord willing. No, I really want, please, don't pray that. Pray that I arrive safely and that it all goes well. So sometimes we pull ourselves back when we're told to cry out to God. What's the matter with crying out to God? Tell him exactly what you want. And then if God doesn't choose to do exactly what we want, then God has chosen not to do exactly what we want but we continue to pray boldly. We need to pray like the people that are persecuted. Now, Harrison cries out. He said he cried out to his Savior, Jesus, let me see my family again, please. As Nico, the lead diver, worked his way into the second room, he yelled out in shock, momentary fear. He saw a hand in the darkness of the water, out like this. The instructor, the instructor tried to calm Nico and said, it's okay, it's just another one. You found another one. You found another body. But this was different. Nico reached out to touch the hand and the hand grabbed Nico's hand. Nico begins yelling over the speaker, he's alive, he's alive. But the instructor begins yelling, everyone's yelling, oh my goodness, he's alive. Nico comes up out of the water And there, for the first time, illuminating the darkness with his headlamp, is Harrison. He saw the beam of light in the water as they were going down the hallway. And Harrison, in the darkness, could see the beam of light. And he reached down out and stuck his hand out to the light. And then the light grabbed back. And he grabbed hold of that and pulled him up. Floating there in the darkness was Harrison. He saw the beam of light and he reached out. Harrison was dazed, but he was very much alive. Harrison breathed oxygen from the diver for the next 20 minutes while the other divers brought warm water down from the boat to pour over him. Once his temperature began to climb, he was fitted with diving gear. They were afraid he was going to start to freak out, but he was okay. He stayed calm through all of that. He was fitted with diving gear and he was slowly brought to the surface to avoid getting the bends. And you've probably heard of the bends before. It's when, you're water, uh, the, when you're at lower surfaces, you can't be brought up very very quickly. You can get sick or it can even, even kill you. He would spend the next two days in a decompression chamber to allow his blood oxygen levels to return to normal. Once on the rescue vessel, Harrison was asked how long he thought he had been underwater. He estimated he was trapped for about 12 hours. He was shocked to find out he had been underwater for three days, how long he was down there on the the seafloor. It didn't make sense for Harrison to survive. In fact, with all of that, with the amount of nitrogen he had held in his blood, scientifically it did not make sense. He should have gone to sleep, suffocated, gone to sleep, and drowned. What they discovered, though, after doing several tests, because they could not figure this out, they discovered what saved him was his calm heart rate. Him staying calm during that time actually preserved him. It allowed his body to preserve oxygen during a time of unspeakable fear. They said had he panicked, he would have died. Harrison testified that his talks with Jesus gave him hope in the darkness. He said it was that still, small voice. Several days later Harrison was reunited with his family. He now serves as a cook on dry land, not far from his home, never to return to sea. You can't blame the men. You can actually look up the rescue video on YouTube. They have a whole thing on it on there. So what we need to do in closing here is we need to remember to praise him because we have hope. We need to have patience in our tribulations. We need to Pray with the passion of the persecuted. All right? Pray with the passion of the persecuted because that is how we are called to speak to God. We are called to praise Him. We are called to be patient during hard times, and we are called to pray with a passion. So I'll leave you with this. Christian God has not left you. Just like Harrison, you are not alone. The darkest moments in our life we are not alone. God is there. He's the calming voice. He's the comfort. You don't need to fix everything. You can't fix everything. Man, we're really, especially men, we really like to fix things ourselves. I'm looking at these cars. I'm pretty sure I can fix one. The other car, I'm not sure I can fix. Okay? I'm not sure I can do it. I've got to look at it and see what extensive stuff. I need to look at that. And then there's a time of, okay, I can do this. There's another time I've got to go hands off, and I've got to take this to someone and pay them because they have the equipment to do that. Whenever, in our life, whenever something comes along, be it a type of sickness or cancer or uh, uh, someone uh, being far from us, like a prodigal son or even a prodigal parent or a spouse, What we have to do is we have to realize we can't fix everything and we need to turn that over to God, turn it over to Christ. Even when our world seems to be falling apart, we need to listen to him. Listen for the still, small voice. Why? Because your family needs it. My family needs it. Your church needs it. Your state needs it. Our nation, my goodness, our nation needs it. Missionaries around the world are depending on us. They need it. Our children's children will need it. It's a little scary to think about the world that our kids will be in, the world that our grandkids will be in at this rate. They need someone who is willing to, during tribulations, not turn away from God at the first sign of trouble. But we need to be calm. We need to be patient. Let's look at our verse one more time. Romans chapter 12 and verse what, 12. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in hope in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. We are called to praise Him, be patient in tribulation, and then we're also called to pray with passion, and that is like those who are persecuted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together, Lord. We thank you for